Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app/breadbox. Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek. And today, we're, yeah, this is our second show on a book that um, we found uh, about a month ago, and it's published by the University of Mary, University of Mary, and it's entitled From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And it's really interesting, and it, it answers a lot of questions you and I, Mary Lou, have had, you know, over the past 20, 30 years as to what in the world is going on <laughs> and why the things that used to work before don't work, you know, anymore. And why are we bleeding um, people from the church? And why does even really the church does not retain the attraction that it had before for certain people? And and what is going on, you know? And I think this really was quite um, quite a very clear a concise um, treatment. It's very. It's a very small book. It's maybe I don't know ninety pages soaking wet, uh, and it is uh, yeah ninety pages soaking wet, and it's very well written. And so I do. I would. Uh, if you two are are out there and you're curious uh, to know uh, what happened and why we're facing the, the 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 challenges that we're facing in 2020 and beyond, and and how all of a sudden. We're finding ourselves as a society speaking different languages in a very highly polarized matter where we don't even use the same terms with the same meaning. Like we have different words. We have the same words, but they mean something completely different depending on where you fall in the political spectrum. I hate to divide things up into a polarization of of political labels, but, you know, most Americans understand when you're talking about a right-wing thing or a left-wing thing or a conservative or a progressive. I hate to apply those labels to church, you know, to church living, because they're not accurate labels. They're political labels, and they really shouldn't have any place in the church. But 
we're going to use some of those labels so that most of us out there can understand what it is that we're talking about. We, we, this book, uh, the premise of this book is very interesting. It basically says that the age of Christendom, which began, I could say loosely, with the Emperor Constantine, so in the 4th century, uh, is uh, is kind of over. You know, it's, it's basically a time in which the Judeo-Christian ethic uh, was used as a basis for law, as a basis for the social contract, as a basis for our understanding of ourselves as families, for the basis of uh, the overarching vision that a society has, right? Uh, right? Based on the Trinity, right? Based on Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Um, we may have had in the past, uh, you know, 1700 years or 1600 years, people who didn't do it very well, maybe, maybe we may have had some apostates and we may have had some bad guys and we may have had some, lots of big sinners, but for the most part, the idea of Christendom has been something that's kind of been in the water. It's been in the air, right? For most people in the West. And I think we assumed it was always going to be in the air, that it was still here. And we're finding out that that's not the case. That's why I think this book has helped me quite a bit to understand that the the world I thought I was living in is really not the world that exists today. And what can we do about it? And that's why people are falling, I think, for alternative solutions or alternative truths, because they don't recognize they're not really equipped anymore to understand that there is only one truth. You know, that the truth is absolute that there is right and there is wrong. Um, so it, it, this book very interestingly um, continues to compare and contrast uh, the Christendom mode with the apostolic mode. Now in a Christendom mode, um, it's, okay, well, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to um, summarize all of what we've talked about before, but right now we're just going to go back into chapter two and talk about comparing and contrasting the Christendom and the apostolic modes. So the Christendom mode is a situation that gives the church a certain advantage because everybody is living on the same page. You know, we all know that you don't kill people. We all know that, you know, that uh, marriages are meant to be, the family's supposed to be intact and it's supposed to be a nuclear family that, you know, there's certain givens, right? Right. Um, and and we there's a Christendom culture, right? So basically we've all said and we've lamented that, Christendom is one thing that was in the air even in the 40s and the 50s in uh, in the last century, in the 20th century. And it kind of did not stand in the way of trying to live as a Christian, even though it may not have promoted it. At least it wasn't actively opposing it, right? It was maybe the last gasps of a Christendom culture. Uh, but now it's different because the givens, the presuppositions and all that stuff is are not the same. And even the people who t- say that they are part of the church oftentimes are speaking about different things. They're speaking about two different realities. Um, in a Christendom culture, the primary need is maintenance, right? So we just need to deepen, consolidate, nourish, and make ever pure the faith of those who are already called believers. This is quoting Pope Paul VI. So during such times, the church has baptized many societal institutions, founds others, and then struggles to maintain and deepen their influence. The task has never been an easy one, of course, because, you know, why? Because we live in a fallen world, right? Right. We, uh, we, um, we have fostered in Christendom great cultural achievements, right? I mean, look at the incredible architecture of Europe, of the cathedrals, of the, you know, the whole 
uh, structure of the universities, of the hospitals, of the orphanages, of the um, the whole of Christendom sort of bolstering this idea of how we can um, th- we have certain ideals of society and those are clear, right? And Christendom believers are fundamentally at peace as regards to their faith, right? Right. Now, but there are some, ch- so, so Christendom was a good thing, right? I mean, it was a good thing when everybody was on the same page. But there are certain challenges, of course, because in Christendom you have what? You have the, the risk of hypocrisy and of lukewarmness, right? Of just people who basically go along for the ride. The great sin of Christendom is an hypocrisy, pretending to be more interested in God and in virtue than what you really are. Why? Because everybody around us is professing Christianity as the norm, Right. And uh, and what are you doing being all fanatic, trying to live as a disciple? I mean, we've encountered that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where father doesn't quite know what to do with unfired disciples. He, he's used to rearranging the chairs for lukewarm people who show up maybe on Sunday and uh, but live like everybody else. Right. So that's why in Christendom, a distinction arises between the nominal and the seriously committed Christian. And that was not found in the first part of the church, like at the first part of the history of the church when they were being persecuted and dragged away to the lions. You know, there was no distinction as, oh, no, I'm just a nominal one as opposed to a seriously committed one. Everybody was the same, right? There there was a line drawn in the sand, for sure. In the sand of the arena, right? Yeah. And so uh, you have that idea of... um, um, a culture in, in, in which the church as a whole, unfortunately, is tempted to lose its spiritual and otherworldly character and become just another organization. You've heard about it, right? Oh, the church is just another institution, or it's just another promising career path, or maybe it's a center of civilized activities, or maybe it's a charitable organization, you know? But actually, what is the church primarily? It's the mystical body of Christ, right? Right. Right. So in a Christian society to profess Christ leads to respectability and can bring power and wealth. I think that sentence alone shows us that we are no longer in a Christendom mode. Right. I don't think so. Unfortunately, within that paradigm, uh, the priesthood and the religious life become career paths. They don't really become vocations. It's like a job, you know, within Christendom. Because institutions are strong and well-founded, they get to be taken for granted, and they lose their originating Christian spirit, which is why there's something exciting about new religious orders, right, or new movements of the Holy Spirit. They're excited because you ha- they haven't been around long enough for you to take them for granted, right? Right. Bishops and priests can cease to operate as pastors and evangelists who are leading people in spiritual battle, and they become system managers, who keep the machine well-oiled. So you have that whole idea of maintaining the structure, maintaining the church, maintaining the existing programs, et cetera. Right? It becomes more of a job than a vocation when you right. talk about it in those terms. That's right. So when, however, holiness, prayer, humility, hidden acts of charity are the spiritual means by which the the church is visibly upheld. So when you don't see those things anymore, when they're diminished, the outward expression of the church's life is liable to failure. Why? Because people think we're hypocrites, right? They hear about the the priest abuse scandals. They hear about financial scandals. They hear about stuff like that. And they're what? Scandalized, right? So that shows a lot of people are in a Christendom mode because they're expecting better out of the church, right? 
The church is never in a more fragile situation than when she seems strong but has lost her deep rootedness in the invisible world. Right? And that unfortunately can be can be found to be, um, it's dangerous, very, very dangerous. In a Christendom time, there are often counterfeits of genuine Christianity that assimilate Christian names and customs in a different religion. This is a quotation from John Henry Newman. So he noticed this back in the 1840s. Quote, in every age of Christianity since it was first preached, there has been what may be called a religion of the world, which so far imitates the one true religion so as to distinguish to deceive the unstable and wary. Let me just pause here, give you an example. The people who say, well, you just have to be a good person, right? Everybody, everybody goes to heaven, right? Because mm-hmm. as long as we're not axe murderers, that's the religion of the world. Mm-hmm. The world does not oppose religion as such. It, I may say that it never has opposed that kind of thing, right? In particular, it has in all ages acknowledged in one sense or the other the gospel, while neglecting the other parts of holy doctrine. So that's where you get the sacrament of sac- uh, the uh, phenomena of people being sacramentalized, but not evangelized. Right? Because right. In, a, in Christendom, the society of the whole population nearly is Christian. And so, you know, it's like, what do we need mission for? Right? So Christendom is on its way out, if not already gone. The main sin of Christendom is hypocrisy, just going around for the ride. Um and unfortunately, the, the drawbacks are that priesthood and, and, and uh, religious life become career paths. And uh, there is a way that the whole structure of Christianity is sometimes a danger for being unmoored by the original pillars of holiness and relationship with Christ. So, And, and that's where, as it says in the book, that, the, that the, the human race is caught up in a cosmic battle between good and evil. We have forgotten that, mm-hmm. you know, when you lose that, that sense of, of faith. And as you just said, to be um, um, sturdy and, and knowledgeable in, in the truth of the faith, not just sacramentalized, you lose sight of that. And, you know, recently people have said how many, the percentage of Catholics that don't believe in the real presence of Christ in mm-hmm. the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know, that's a scary thing. So this is just kind of a, an example of that, that when we lose that Christendom society, which we have, you lose sight of the real presence of Christ in the church, mm-hmm. not only in the sacraments, but but everywhere. It, it's we're as you said, we're the mystical body of Christ. We each have a function and mm-hmm. what comes first in our lives should, should be our faith and nothing else, nothing less. Amen. So that was, that was Christendom. Now, instead, we're talking about the apostolic situation, right? Which is, looks like what is going to be needed going further. The church is not the major influence in society's overarching vision. Can we agree to that? I think yes. we've gotten there, right? The church yep. is definitely not the major influence in society's overarching vision. And that, so, therefore, you don't need to mainly maintain. You need to build it up again. You need to rebuild it. It's for re- apostolic witness and the building of a distinctly... Christian cultural vision and way of life. In the apostolic time, the church understands herself to be vastly different from the world, needing to make her way against hostility or apathy, enabled to count on the wider society to sustain her institutions or to carry her vision of life, which is what we've been doing up until this point, right? Now, there are challenges, right? There's a serious price. If you are a disciple, 
in an apostolic time because there can be less hypocrisy. What are you going to do? How can you live as an intentional on fire disciple and be an, a hypocrite? I'm sure, you know, as humans, we can probably manage it. But for the most part, the life of faith is more intense. And you know what happens when the life of faith is more intense? It's more attractive. People see to the truth of the matter. You're more genuine. You're more appealing, right? If you're if you're on fire, if your life has been changed there's an immediate experience of a momentousness of belonging to Christ. The great adventure of Christianity is more palpable. Its contours show up with greater clarity, and the gospel attracts many high-hearted people who have a strong desire for God and for goodness. That, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it reminds me of when evil abides, grace abides all the more. That's right. And that's, that's the time that we're living in. Absolutely. In an apostolic age, there is by necessity a greater purity of intention in priests and bishops, which makes for truer and more dynamic leadership. And I think here we're seeing kind of a transition. Uh, you know, as, as always, it's kind of piecemeal, and some people are farther ahead than others. But for the most part, this purification of the, of the method of, uh, of the reasoning and of the intentions in priests and bishops is pretty clear. A higher standard of holiness among the clergy is more natural and easier to sustain, which may be a good thing for it all is. those guys struggling out there by themselves, living by themselves in a rectory and, and uh, like pastoring three different churches without any support. You know, those who might pursue church offices for money or social prestige will usually find something else to do. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Probably what? Work for the government or something, right? In an apostolic age, the church is, in a sense, more self-conscious, right? There's a daily experience. Every Christian is by necessity a witness and an evangelist. And the role of the laity, the importance of lay holiness, is clearer, right? Because you and I know, Mary Lou, that confessing Christ in the face of hostility, even to the point of martyrdom, has always been accounted the greatest of Christian blessings. Absolutely. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. Ah, and there are challenges. Errors in all its forms is present, unfortunately, doctrinal and moral. In such a cultural atmosphere, it can be difficult for Christians to sustain their own spiritual and moral vision. Well, yeah. I mean, look at, we seem like we're all of a sudden, we're from Mars, right? In our <laughs> society, right? It's mm -hmm. like everything has changed. We stay the same, but everything else has changed. It's also more difficult to raise children in the faith, which I think we can attest to, right? In an apostolic age, the hostility of the wider culture can be made, can make a settled life difficult. Yes, if you're a doctor who refuses to perform abortion, if you are a pharmacist who refuses to dispense contraceptives, if you're a lawyer who refuses to do, take certain kinds of cases, if you're a cake maker who refuses to do this and that and the other and a flower and a flower. I mean, we could see what's going on, right? Well, you know, there's a line in here, um, in, in an apostolic age, every Christian is by necessity a witness and an evangelist. The role of the laity and the importance of lay holiness emerge with greater clarity as is necessary for the church to complete her mission. That's right. We've got our marching orders here. Amen. We are not to just be, you know, spectators in this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Institutions are harder to found and harder to keep healthy. It's like trying to build a house in a hurricane. Fewer resources are available, and the cultural challenge of articulating the faith can be exhausting. Especially among those who measure the strength of the church by her visible manifestation, there can be a tendency to discouragement, do you think? I mm -hmm. mean, you know, all the people who are worrying about the people who left uh, before the uh, lockdown 
to go to mat to they couldn't go to mass and now nobody's coming back or, or very few are coming back and that's you know that could be discouraging right it is so just like the besetting sin of Christendom was cat was hypocrisy the sin of or the the drawback of the apostolic age is cowardice just keep your head down don't mm-hmm. be noticed don't stand up hope that everything blows away right blows off or let oh, someone else take care of it exactly uh, in Christendom, people are tempted to profess more faith and virtue than they possess. In an apostolic age, they're tempted to profess less. Open apostasy motivated by fear becomes more common. And I think we've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. In an apostolic age, because of the bitterness of the spiritual climate, groups of Christians face a temptation to develop an overly rigoristic attitude to faith and the moral life or to become sectarian. And I have to say, I have seen that happen. As the times get bad, as we get mixed messages from the magisterium, as stuff is going on, uh, you have people who are veering, making a hard turn into the traditional, perhaps. You know, people who have maybe decided that the Latin Mass is the only thing to do, that maybe a more traditional type of, of life is is the only way to do things, you know. Uh, there's, there's, there's definitely... A tendency, I think, to become a little bit more sectarian. Oh, I follow so and so. Oh, I watch Bishop so and so. Oh, I like Father so and so and Father so and so and Doctor so and so on YouTube or on Facebook or on social media. Right? We get these little camps of people, and they all think that the rest of the world forget about it. We're and it's almost like a fearful attitude. I think that robs the gospel of its joyful and conquering spirit. You know, it's interesting. This accommodation of worldly currents of thought and behavior is a besetting temptation of many in a Christendom age. So the erecting of a personal or group orthodoxies that do not map onto the true lines of the gospel is a temptation for many in the apostolic age. Just to close out the show, do you remember at the beginning of the life of the church, all the various sects and oh, cults yeah. and uh, the Montanists come to mind? You know, mm-hmm. they were more holy then, then the you know, then the Blessed Mother or something, you know, they were like too holy for you, you know. Where mm-hmm. they were rigorous, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of this type of, this type of environment kind of unfortunately calls out that kind of setting yourself apart uh, through, just by by methods that don't really matter, basically, uh, because really the only thing we need to do is set ourselves up as disciples of Jesus and and set ourselves apart through holiness. Thank you for joining us. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at CatholicSingles.com. 